You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 Podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp, joined here today by Blake Alderman. Blake, uh, we talked about it going into the South Carolina game. We expected the Gamecocks to kind of, you know, eat into the possessions, uh, try to try to limit the amount of time that Florida's offense was on the field. And I think uh, the game ended up playing pretty much how we thought it would. Yeah, it did. I, I thought that, you know, looking back, the just the sheer number of snaps each team had, you know, obviously there was a big difference there. Um, you know, classic Will Muschamp ending to a game. You know, you're kind of sitting there and you're watching – you know, the, the time kind of click off the, you know, uh, off there and you just don't see any urgency there. Um, you know, I have some friends that were texting me during the game and, you know, they're, they're, you know, low key panicking, you know, they're like, you know, defense can't do this defense can't do that. I'm like, dude, look at the clock. Like they're yeah. going to score and have like seconds left. Like, what are you guys so like, so panicky about like a lot of things needed to happen. Um, you know, obviously for them to get that win out. Uh but I, I think you were right, you know, kind of heading into this. It did play into their favor, uh, kind of the style that what uh, South Carolina did want to play. But Florida's offense, obviously, you know, early on there, you know, they, 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 they got it done and, you know, they, they held on. And, you know, that, we'll get more into, you know, the defensive play. But, you know, I, I think this game kind of, uh, I mean, you called it, you know, it did kind of play into what you thought it would. I'm not, I'm not sure that South Carolina is one of the better teams that Florida's going to face this year. I mean, you said it. I mean, what kind of what kind of team is, uh, you know, down two touchdowns and puts together with eight minutes left, a seven and a half minute drive and then waits to call two timeouts until the other team's trying to kneel down the ball to, to end the game. Um, so Florida, Florida will play better teams for sure. There's no doubt about it. But I do think, um, you know, it says something when South Carolina can run 30 more plays than you do and your offense still ends up putting up 38 points. You still end up winning by two touchdowns. Like it, that's, that's the kind of team that Florida has this year. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, as, as things continue to develop, you know, how Florida strikes that balance of how much they want to kind of put the foot on the gas from go offensively uh, versus maybe, you know, trying to protect that defense a little bit, maybe by, by maybe putting together some longer drives, maybe leaning on the run a little bit more, you know, going back to the game against South Carolina, I thought Florida actually got a little pass heavy in the second half. You know, the, the two fourth quarter drives, it seemed like they really, really were trying to stretch the ball down the field still. When to Blake, to be honest, I, I watching that game, I thought Florida's run game was pretty good. And again, uh, you know, the numbers in terms of total yards may not bear that out, but right now I think Florida's averaging something like 5.7 yards per carry, you know, when you take sack yardage out. And I, I think that's a pretty good number. I mean, you look back to 2018 when they were a really good running team with, Jordan Scarlett and the Michael P. Ryan, that's right about where they were. And for this to be, you know, a team that has a more veteran offensive line, I think when you have a two touchdown lead, you know, get, get some reps in the running game too. So that if there was anything that was disappointing for me, I thought the play calling in the fourth quarter was a little bit questionable. You know, I thought, I thought Florida could have salted that game away. You know, Damian Pierce had an excellent game, had nine carries, I think in the game, but you know, they, they didn't really ride him, you know, despite him kind of getting it going. Same thing with Malik Davis. I thought, you know, I know Florida wants to rotate those three backs, but I think when you're in a situation like that against an SEC team and, 
Um, you know, again, I know Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts and, and, and that offensive passing game has been elite, but I think when you're trying to, you know, ice a game like that, uh, I don't know, to me, it seemed a little bit, a little bit frustrating that they, they really tried to rely on the pass to end out, end out the game. Yeah. You know, I kind of thought the same thing too. You know, we talked about it on this podcast and we were, you know, pre-gaming this, this South Carolina matchup and, you know, talking about things. And I fully expected, you know, with uh, pretty much, you know, a solid day through the air, you know, to start out the game, I, I expected Florida to kind of, you know, work on the fly of continuing to establish that run game, continuing to, you know, get their offensive line to gel in the run game, you know, just all of those things there. It's, it's just kind of, um, it's kind of what Dan Mullen has done since he's been at Florida. You know, he's kind of, you know, worked on things on the fly for lack of a better term. And I kind of thought that, you know, game in hand, I agree with you. I think Damian Pierce was really good, but I mean, only nine carries. It's not like they really, you know, put him out there. And I think Malik Davis only had four himself. So it really wasn't much of a, you know, a focus on the run game that at least it seemed, I, I thought it was really uncharacteristic of Mullen because like we've said before, he just has really tried to, you know, make it a point, you know, even last year where Florida wasn't running the ball good, he was making a point to still try to do that and still try to make it physical and still trying to, um, you know, I guess force the running game on them. So I thought that was a little surprising. I thought that was kind of uncharacteristic of Mullen, you know, just uh, just of what we've seen in the past from him, you know, I mean, he'll, he'll run, he'll, he'll pull the run game out, even if, you know, it's stubbornly, it's not working for him. And I was surprised to see him not go that route because it was working. At least I thought it was working. Yeah, I think some of that is, you know, Dan Mullen is is really good at understanding where his team's strengths are and kind of leaning on that. And we saw that obviously last year when Florida really couldn't run the ball and they became a very pass-heavy team. You look back to, you know, the Dak Prescott years, they were very much a throwing team. So I think that, you know, Dan Mullen is very good at understanding that they have a real legitimate strength with this passing game and the amount of quality options at receiver they have. And so I think that's part of it. But I think that for Florida to win an SEC title, they're going to need some semblance of balance. And I think that they have the ability to do that. You know, I really, going back to that offensive line, I think this, this line is probably the, the unsung hero of the team so far in that not only are they pass protecting extremely well. I mean, Kyle Trask has had all day to throw more times than not. And credit Trask, too, for his movement in the pocket. You know, even when there have been occasional instances where guys get pressure, he's done a terrific job of moving around in that pocket to create a little bit more space and keep his eyes downfield. But this line has been pretty good against the, I mean, running the football as well. I mean, from week one to week two, I kind of really watched that because we talked on the podcast last week about, you know, I thought individually there were some up and down performances. You know, Stuart Reese was a guy that I thought had some flashes, but again, we talked about it. I thought he was maybe a little bit slow pulling around. Uh, you know, trying to get down the line. I thought it, it just it felt a little awkward last week. And then I thought, you know, on Saturday against South Carolina, I thought it was much better. I thought he looked much more comfortable getting to his spot, uh, kind of maneuvering in. And it, it looked like John Hebesey had kind of gone through the film and said, hey, you know, we need to hit it at this angle. We need to get it a little bit better. To me, the run game looked much, much cleaner. And, you know, we talked about it going into the South Carolina game. I thought the Gamecocks were going to be much tougher to kind of run the ball against, and that didn't really play out. Uh, you know, I, I was pretty impressed with Kingsley and Igbare in that, in that front end, and really he wasn't an issue. Ernest Jones, same thing. Uh, Florida did an extremely good job getting a hat on a hat in the run game, and uh, I thought, you know, I thought the line did a better job of really kind of starting to reestablish the line of scrimmage, and that's that's when you see teams get really good running the footballs when they can move that line of scrimmage two to three yards forward. And it, it didn't happen on every play on Saturday against the Gamecocks, but 
more often than not, that line was two to three yards down the field by the time the running backs were kind of getting to that point of attack. And to me, when you're at that level in game two of a 10 game season, you know, we saw what happened with that 2018 unit. They really, you know, it took them much, much longer to get comfortable in gel. But by the end of the, the season, when they did start gelling in that final four game stretch against South Carolina and then finishing with that Michigan bowl game, they were really, really good running the football. And I think I came away from Saturday against South Carolina thinking, you know, after rewatching the game that, that this team has the ability to be really good running the football, not just, not just balanced, but they, they had the chance to actually be a really good running team as well. And I think that the way teams are going to game plan Florida, knowing that passing game is elite, that's going to be a big deal because you're going to have to be able to run the ball in some of these games. Yeah, definitely. And I, I thought another encouraging thing for the offense was, you know, obviously we, we knew that this was going to be a strong passing team, but then you have guys that, you know, nine different guys catch a pass. Six of those guys caught multiple passes. It's encouraging to see. Yes. Kyle Pitts is, is, is a monster. He's, he's having a great season. I think it's crazy to see that he has six touchdowns through two games in the season. That's, that's absurd. But then you also, you see that Florida is still spreading the ball around and they're still getting other guys involved. You look at Kadarius, Tony, what he's done through the season. So I think that, I think that this Florida offense, I agree with what you said, and I circle back to where this offense has every capable part on their, you know, on all facets to be real, you know, they, they, they are really well-rounded, you know, yes, you may not see, you know, a heavy run game like in South Carolina, um, you know, you may see different things, but I, I think that if they can figure that out, this offense has a chance to even take that up a notch even more because we know the passing game is good. We know Kyle Trask has been good under pressure. He's certainly getting his, you know, those passes zipped in more. You, he just looks, I don't know, he just, he looks a little bit more complete this year as a passer, as a quarterback. Um, and I think that whenever you see how they're not only spreading the ball around to different receivers, you know, yes, Kyle Pitts is getting his, he's, he's a focal point in the offense, but there's still other guys that are getting involved. And I think that, you know, even in the early part of the season, you know, it's, it's encouraging to see that that is something that they can still continue to build off of. Yeah, no doubt. And it's funny, you know, we talked to Dan Mullen after the game and, you know, when things are fresh and everybody's kind of harping on that defensive performance, you know, I think the issues there were much more obvious uh, and so when you're, you're in that kind of visceral reaction phase, uh, everybody on Saturday is asking Mullen, oh, you know, what's wrong with the defense? What's wrong with the defense? And he points to the offense of the fourth quarter being the issue, you know, that they put the, the defense in bad spots with some turnovers. And it's funny that, you know, Florida's come such a long way that we're now looking at the offense and, and uh, pinpointing some of these, you know, relatively minor issues. I mean, there were only two drives in the fourth quarter. Granted, they were both three and outs, but – it's not like, you know, it was like this continual discombobulated thing. I mean, you know, they, they ran out and put up 38 points in the first three quarters. So it, it's, it's funny where we're at now that uh, even Dan Mullen is, is kind of pinning a little bit of the blame for some of the defensive issues on the offense, not doing its job. And uh, I, I do think it's important to remember that, you know, as good as Kyle Trask has been, nobody's going to be perfect, right? Like there, there's going to be games where the offense is going to be off. And so that, that, I think, to me, is why it's more important that Florida really start to continue to iron out these issues defensively. Uh, but we'll, we'll get into it more in the second half of the show. But to be honest, Blake, when I went back and rewatched the game, I thought that um, – I, I don't know. I just feel like when we watch games live, we tend to overreact a lot. And then when you go back and watch the game, you know, really breaking down each play and figuring out what's going on on each play, I came away after my rewatch feeling – both more confident in the offense and more confident in the defense. I think you look at the numbers, the Florida defense only gave up four yards per play on Saturday. You know, South Carolina, granted, ran 83 of them. But when you go back and look at 
the way the defense played out, there were a lot of plays where the defense did do its job and, and held, you know, a run for two to three yards. Now, the biggest issue for me, Blake, defensively was Florida couldn't get off the field on third or fourth down, and that's got to get fixed. Yeah, definitely. I think there were – I don't know. It just seemed like an up-and-down day for the defense. You know, maybe not as, as gashed, and, and I think that probably has to do with a lot of – I think that Ole Miss has a lot of pieces, and I, it, was, it seemed like a different game. And it just seemed like – I'm trying to think of the exact word to describe it. It just seemed like a very sluggish performance for this defense to where I, – I, I think that probably matches more with South Carolina's offense being a little bit slower, you know, obviously trying to milk the clock, you know. And I, I think that that's what played into South Carolina's success of just kind of slowing the game down. And it just seemed like Florida – I don't know that front seven just seems like it just has some work to go. And, and I, I think that has to do with a lot of, you know, younger pieces there, but, you know, I thought the secondary was a lot better compared to, you know, that first game against Ole Miss, but that's that front seven is still, I think the, uh, you know, kind of the thing that, they, that it needs to continue to, to build off of going forward. All right. Well, Blake, let's take a quick break. We'll, we'll get much further into the defensive discussion. I've got some thoughts kind of on the scheme and how Florida's lining up and stuff like that. Uh, but let's take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast ebay motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease fresh installs and a whole lot of love you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. Blake, I know we, we were kind of getting into it a little bit before the break, but let's talk about the Florida defense because I think that is the major concern right now for everyone. 
few games in, you know, the, the defense has given up, what, 35 points and 24 points. Um, granted, the offense, you know, and, and this is something to consider too, you know, uh, looking back at that kind of LSU 2019 comparison, because I know a few people have thrown it out there, your defense isn't going to be as good when your offense is that elite from a number standpoint. Like that's just, it's natural. Like if your offense is scoring a bunch of points and putting pressure on teams, they're going to press more against your defense. They're going to look for more explosive plays. So that's something to consider. But, you know, the eyeball test, obviously Florida's defense isn't passing that right now. I guess my question to you is, is where does that stand out the most for you at the, at the current moment? And, and what, what does Florida have to do to fix this thing at this point? You know, I, I think it's a, it's a little bit of, I don't know, I guess it's a two-part answer for me because I think the front seven is really where they need to fix things the most. And I think that whenever you look at the defensive line, Getting a guy like Kyrie Campbell back, you know, whenever that may be, I think is something that could, you know, be an instant upgrade because, uh, you know, just the size he brings, he's another body, you know, the experience he brings, all those things is it's, you know, there's no negative for him coming back to that Florida defensive line. And I think where you look at where they're really thin, um, you know, and pass being thin, you know, they're one injury away from having a true freshman play, you know, multiple snaps and I mean mind you that's Jervon Dexter or a guy like Jalen Lee or someone like that but still I mean you'd rather have a guy with some experience um, you know just the know-how of you know just playing in the SEC so I think that the defensive line in general I think that that's one where yes there needs to be some improvement how thin they are I think is you know there's there's things but I think that time is something that can improve that whereas the linebacker position Outside of Ventrell Miller, man, I just don't see a guy that's really there and making, you know, a big contributor. Um, you know, Muhammad Diabate is one that, you know, if you move him around, um, you know, kind of put him on the edge there, I think that he shines a bit more there. Um, but, you know, they're obviously throwing him at middle linebacker. I, I just think that right now, to me, the biggest concern is linebacker outside of Ventrell Miller. I think Florida more than likely needs to start maybe shopping some different guys around, trying different things out in game situations. Because I, I just right now, man, it just doesn't seem like what they have out there now is just working consistently. Yeah, I agree. And, and I pointed that out pretty early in the, the South Carolina game, you know, watching it, that I, the front seven just is not doing a whole lot for me right now. And I think really when you boil it down, I think, you know, Kyrie Campbell being out has a huge trickle-down effect. And I think part of the the problem right now is is Florida just doesn't have enough big bodies on the defensive line. You know, you lost Jonathan Grenard, you lost Jabari Zaniga. Both of those guys were capable of really setting the edge against the run. And really, those guys were, you know, Grenard was playing your buck role and Zaniga was playing your strong side end role. You look at this year, you know, Brenton Cox, for the most part, has been playing strong side end. And he's he's really a guy that I think you'd ideally like to play at buck if you're talking about ideal size-wise. Uh, Zach Carter's a guy that should be playing, in my mind, strong side end. Now, I'm not saying he's not capable of playing that three-tech where he's playing now, and I think he's been pretty good, but ideally, I think he's – He's playing that as the situation. He would Ideally, I don't think you'd want him out there. I think that's just right. due to the situation that they're at. So It is, it is. because un- uncharacteristically right now. Right, with Campbell out, I mean, you, you don't want to be playing just Marlon Dunlap and, and TJ Slayton in there, you know, 80 snaps a game. You know, you can't do that. When you're playing 83 snaps – you know, you're going to wear down. And you know that Florida likes to roll deep. They don't have the ability to roll that deep right now. I mean, like you said, Javon Dexter, he's been really good as a true freshman, but he's a true freshman. And there's going to be games where he gets exposed a little bit. And who's next? Like, who's next in line? So, you know, Florida's – I think Florida's being forced a little bit to play guys out of position a little bit because of recruiting. You know, we talked about the two classes they went where they really only signed two. 
defensive lineman and one of them one left <laughs> right Malik Langham so you know I think they're hamstrung a little bit right now but that's not necessarily going to change so you know they're going to really have to cross their fingers and hope none of those interior guys the bigger body guys get hurt you know Javon Dexter is going to have to keep ramping up that snap count and, and really start to play more you saw it against South Carolina he was definitely involved more but I do wonder too a little bit Blake if kind of this off-season focus on being versatile and wanting to disguise things with guys that can do multiple roles. I wonder if that hasn't hurt Florida a little bit. Because to me, it looks like right now the defense doesn't necessarily have a clear identity. And in my mind, that's a product of a lot of different guys trying to play multiple roles so as to kind of disguise things and, and not really knowing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. You know, just not really having that sense of identity. Does that make any sense? It does. You know, Florida really has – I mean, you, you see how they have those guys. It just seems like the defense – I guess they're just shopping around a, a bunch of guys that are tweeners. Um, I guess that's really the best way to say it. It's just the fact that – you know, not to say these guys can't play or, you know, they're not good or anything like that, but it just seems like they're in a spot where they can kind of float around, and it's, I guess, um, you know, jack of all trades but a master of none. I yeah. guess that's more kind of what I see from the defense. And I, I think that that's something that they're going to need to, I guess, kind of find a home, you know, you know, throughout practice. I don't know if that's something that they're just shopping around as the season goes along or, you know, if it's just depth issues or, or you know, I mean, I guess it could be a lot of different things, but I definitely see when you see that defense, you just don't really see, you know, they're going to be physical. They're going to be fast. They're going to be this, they're going to be that. It just seems like, you know, what are they doing? Yeah, and you know, and and Florida always talks about being fast, physical, and aggressive. I got to be honest, I don't really see the physical part right now. And right. There, there's a few. I see, I see some speedy, flashy guys, but I just don't see them really establishing the line, really beating guys down. And I, you know, when you think SEC, that's what you think. Yeah, and we talked about it last week. You know, the linebackers in particular being able to disengage blocks and get off blocks. Uh, there's just too many guys right now that, for whatever reason, and I think part of it is physical. You know, I think. Florida in the front seven is, to me, is undersized for what you want to be in the SEC. I mean, you talk about Zach Carter at, what, 280 playing the three-tech. Uh, you know, you got a guy like Brenton Cox now mostly playing strong side end, and he's a guy that typically in a, in a you know, last year would have been your buck for sure. Um, and even a little bit lighter of a buck uh, than, than probably Jonathan Grenard. So I, I think tweeners is a great way to put it. I think they have a lot of guys that are tweeners that are probably playing more on the lighter side at some of the positions they're being asked to work at. Um, you know, Diabate, to me, it stands out that, you know, his most productive influence in the game Saturday was when he was on the edge. You know, in that final drive against South Carolina, there's a couple plays where he's coming off the edge and he's making an impact. Whereas when he's in the middle, you don't see it quite as much. So I know that they're trying other guys kind of where Amari Bernie is, you know, because I, I think you and I have both kind of pointed out Bernie to me has been probably the biggest disappointment on the defense. I, I just do not see any level of physicality enough to be able to play linebacker in the sec you know the the being able to disengage blocks i think too often bernie's going into his gap and just dropping a shoulder into an offensive lineman or, or even an h-back or a fullback instead of you know really kind of having the physicality to attack them with with good technique you know and then be able to push and shed the block and make a play laterally we're not seeing that at all right now for him and so i think florida is trying some other guys i just think i don't think Diabate, I know that they want to use his versatility, and, and I know that his football IQ is one of the reasons that they're kind of trying to use him there. But I don't, I don't think that's his best role. And I think 
going back to Zach Carter, I think same thing with Zach Carter. I think they, they've got guys trying to do things that they maybe are capable of doing and maybe could be good in the long run doing. But right now it's not taking advantage of their strengths. You know, Zach Carter, um, I go back to, to how they're doing it. Florida has been using a ton of stunts on the defensive line um, where to me, I understand why they do that. And they like to clog the, the pass, passing lanes for the quarterback and kind of, uh, you know, muddy up what he's seeing. But at the same time, Zach Carter's a guy that even from three tech, he can bull rush people. I mean, we saw it on one of the sacks Saturday. He literally drove an offensive tackle back all the way into the quarterback and just, you know, Stephen Hill uh, got, sorry, Colin Hill got knocked over just because his left tackle was being blocked back into him. Now, granted, that was when Carter was at defensive end. So again, kind of my point of, you know, are you using your guys that have these clear strengths like a Diabate off the edge, like a Zach Carter with his strong bull rush? Are you using them in the most effective way as possible? And right now my answer is for too many guys, that's a no. Um, I'm curious to see if you feel the same way about James Houston, but I've seen some flashes out of him with some, some streaks of violence that I like to see. And you know, obviously he's a guy that assignments are kind of the issue there. Can he stay in his gap and, and not get himself out of position to where, you know, you allow a big play, but to me, I need to see more playmaking from this front seven as a whole. I need to see more physicality. And I think James Houston, when you're looking at guys that can maybe step in at linebacker and maybe give, Diabate, the ability to play on the edge more. I think James Houston's a guy that could take more snaps there. Yeah, you know, I thought he was one of the bright spots at the linebacker spot. I, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think Ventro Miller has been, you know, the leader in the clubhouse of that group. Right, right he's now. been very good. But I think that from watching that game, um, you know, we uh, sure we didn't get to see him in the uh, Ole Miss game. But just from what I saw in that, um, in that game against South Carolina, I thought that, you know, I think the words you use perfectly hit the nail on the head. I think violent. I think that that's what Florida needs in that defensive, or excuse me, uh, for that linebacker group. Um, and I think that those kind of out of position plays, you know, those little, I guess, just little mental tweaks that he has, that's something that's, I guess you're just gonna have to expect with him. But I think that that's something that if you can continue to get him out there on the field, you can continue to find a way to get him in there. I think those are things that you can easily clean up through practice, through game reps, you know, through all this, that, and the other. Um, but I think from just looking at, you know, how Amari Bernie has struggled, um, how, uh, Diabate has seemed out of place at times. I think that, I think that getting a guy like James Houston in there to where he's got some experience, you know what to expect from him. You know, he's going to play hard and physical. He's going to get his nose to the ball. I think that he seems like one of the better options to throw out there. But I mean, I think Florida has some other linebackers in there. You know, a guy I mentioned, you know, when we were taking the break, Tyron Hopper was one that I was interested to see. Um, I don't know that we've really seen him much in there. Uh, you know, I, who knows what, why that is, or, you know, if he's an option or whatever, but I think it's time for Florida to start, you know, kind of shopping some guys around in there and seeing what, you know, kind of what sticks for them, but just because I just don't see Bernie really taking that turn right now. Minus it is only two games in the season. There's still plenty of football left to play, but just from what I've seen so far, I think it's time to kind of, you know, figure some other things out. And I think, I think the term you probably use with James Houston right now, from what we've seen is he's a little bit boomer bust. You know, it's either, it's either big play, downhill like the sack we saw on Saturday where he absolutely bulldozed the the fullback and, and then single-handedly made the sack or it's you know you're out of a gap and all of a sudden you give up a 20-yard run but having said that I think the way Florida is structured this year with you know that, that offense that can really get down the field and, and push the ball and score a lot of points wouldn't you rather be boom or bust this year than death by a thousand cuts which is kind of what we've seen through the first two weeks to me if you have a boomer bust defense, you're talking turnovers or giving up quick points. And I think when you have an offense that's capable of scoring a lot, giving up quick points isn't always as big a deal. I think the biggest concern for Florida is going to be a team that 
tries to play a game plan like South Carolina did, but is much more effective at it than the Gamecocks were. You know, a team that can, can, can limit the amount of chances that the Florida offense has, which, which South Carolina did to some degree, um, but also can do that at a high level. And I, I'm, I'm talking about Georgia, obviously, you know, watching that game against Auburn. Georgia's offensive line, that running game, looks like the type of unit that right now against this Florida front seven is capable of absolutely turning that into a low possession game. So to me, if you start to get those more physical, violent guys in on defense, those boomer, even if they're boomer bust, at least if you bust, your offense gets the ball back. Whereas on the other hand, you have a chance to create some negative plays, create more three and outs, create maybe even some turnovers. To me, that is the way the Florida defense should be looking to approach things right now. You know, I agree. To me, I, I just think that's a good it, idea. It's a no-brainer to me on paper that you you know that's the way to go. You do not want to be in a situation where you're keeping everything in front of you, playing a bunch of zone coverage, allowing you know South Carolina to slowly pick you apart and have a seven. And a, I mean, in that situation, you're fine with a seven and a half minute drive. But if you get teams that are doing that routinely earlier in the game, you're going to lose some games that you maybe shouldn't. Yeah, and I, I think you may bring up another thing that kind of brought a question in my head. We haven't really seen. You know, from a typical Todd Grantham defense where they're just attacking, they're blitzing, you know, they're just being chaotic. Is it just the out of characteristic, you know, kind of finding your identity type of thing where you, I guess in your opinion from looking back at the tape, I think is that I just haven't seen so much of the blitzing, so much of what you yeah, see from a typical defense. I, I guess is that what you think? I don't know. And that's, that's where you get into how much are they really showing? You know, it's only been two games. I think going into the season, if you had asked Dan Mullen and, and his staff, they felt comfortable about winning these two out of the gates. They would have probably told you, yes, like the, you know, they, they're very well capable of beating both Ole Miss and South Carolina without showing a whole lot. The question is, you know, do they have the players in place where when, even when they do start showing a lot and start showing more blitzes, can they make it happen? And that's kind of more where I'm, you know, questioning this defense is do they have the guys that can do that? You know, when I look at guys like, um, Amari Bernie, I don't see enough even in the vanilla stuff to think that it's suddenly going to change if they just get a little more aggressive. Um, so I don't know. It, it, that is a good question, Blake. And, and in fairness to Todd Grantham, I do think we probably need to be a little bit patient and see. I think this week will show us a lot. I think Texas A&M is a team that's going to maybe draw a little bit more out of that, if you will. It's the test of the season. It, yeah, I think so. And this is the one game in, in the, you know, granted, I don't think Texas A&M has looked as good as maybe I expected they would have. Today to the season, obviously there's other, there's yeah. other challenges. I, you know, I probably bought into that offseason hype and I know our, our subscribers on 12-24-7 will definitely get on me for that. But this is one I circled as a loss going into the year just because I thought it was going to be a really tough road test. Um, at this point, I'm not sure if I feel the same way, but I do think we're going to learn a lot about who Florida is. Um, so I don't know. That's a good question. Has Florida just been playing vanilla? I don't know. I do think in that final drive against South Carolina, I know that they didn't get off the field on third and fourth down, but you saw them go to more man coverage in, uh, in the secondary. And I thought that really helped. You saw them start to bring a little bit more pressure. I thought that really helped. I think those are things that they're going to be able to build on. I think for me right now, it's just more important for the defense to get the right guys in there. And then you can start to worry more about scheme. I think that's the biggest thing right now but again I go back to I wasn't nearly as disappointed in the defensive performance as I was when I initially watched the game you know having rewatched it I think there's a lot of areas where they did pretty well you look at the numbers again four yards per play is pretty good you'll usually take that it's just about cleaning up some of the situational football I think the tackling was a little bit better from week one to week two I thought the fits were a little bit better from week one to week two 
it probably wasn't as quick of a progression as I would have liked to see. But again, I think a lot of that is personnel driven. And if Florida can start to, you know, get the right personnel in there. And then again, like you said, continuing to create that depth, particularly in the front seven, I think they'll be in better shape. I agree. I think that the defense is a work in progress, but luckily for them, the offense is one that, you know, if you're going to be in a shootout, that's the kind of offense you want to have in your back pocket. All right, Blake, let's talk uh, real quickly because uh, we got a few more minutes left here. Marcus Bowman, five-star, former Clemson running back, now transferring to Florida. I know you got that news on Saturday. Give us a, a quick overview of what this kind of news means for Florida and what kind of player he is. Oh, it's, it's a gigantic addition for Florida. Um, I mean, we're talking about a guy that, um, you know, had uh, – I think he had one year uh, – the year they won the state championship game, I think he had somewhere around – um, I'm actually going to pull up the number just because I don't want to butcher this, but I mean, he, he didn't have as lot of carries, um, you know, at that level, uh, for Clemson and, you know, he only played in, I, I believe one of the games. Um, but this is a guy that had, uh, 5,172 total yards and 11.2 average over the course of his entire high school career. So, I mean, this is a guy that is an impressive runner. Um, he's got the speed to outrun a guy. Um, he's got some of the, you know, strength kind of bowling ball type of runner, you know, really low center of gravity to where he can, you know, go between the tackle. He's not just, you know, a speedy gadget type of guy. So, I mean, this is a really big addition for Florida where you look at the fact that Florida really hasn't recruited the running back position very well from the high school level. DeMarcus Bowman was a top target for them. Uh, he committed to Clemson back in May of 2019. Florida still continued to try to kick the tires on him. You know, would go by the school whenever they were able to. Um, we're trying to, you know, do in-home visits. You know, he just never really budged on that Clemson commitment. Um, gets up there. Uh, you know, he said it was kind of uh, had a death in the family. You know, wanted to be closer to home. You know, wanted to get back down to the Sunshine State. So that was really one of the biggest factors in him, you know, choosing to go to Florida. So for right now, he has committed to Florida. Um, he actually committed to them, um, you know, the day he put his name in the transfer portal, he had talked to them a little bit and he kind of in his head had the idea that, you know, I'm going to Florida, I'm going closer to home. Um, you know, he had fielded some calls from other schools, um, you know, that Monday, you know, after he put his name into the portal, um, Florida got in touch with them as soon as he entered his name into the portal. Cause that's just how the, you know, the rules work with that. So, um, you know, after that, you know, fielding some calls from the other schools, you know, he was set on Florida, you know, he wanted to go there, wanted to be closer to home. You know, he's got a, you know, a lot of old former Lakeland teammates there. So good connection with the staff, you know, he really likes what they've done on offense so far. So he'll actually be in Gainesville uh, for the spring semester. So he'll be there for January. He's actually taking online classes with Clemson now. Um, he went to it. He was just in Atlanta um, for a funeral for his family member that passed. Um, and then he's making his way back to Lakeland and he'll take his online classes um, back home, work with a trainer and all this, that, and the other, he'll finish that up and then he'll be at Florida for the spring semester. So, you know, Florida's done a really good job through the NCAA transfer portal. You look at five-star guys like Brenton Cox, Justin Shorter, now Demarcus Bowman, uh, Lorenzo Lingard, another guy at running back position for Florida. So it's pretty interesting, man, because you see that Greg Knox gets a lot of flack for, uh, you know, just his recruiting so far, but, you know, I mean, he has landed two former five stars through the portal now. So, you know, it's uh, it's part of, I guess, the recruiting fingerprint now. You know, sure, you want to continue to get those guys to the high school level, but just the way the portal has worked, how quickly, you know, guys entered their name in there, how, you know, heavily that is trafficked. Um, it's just something that I think is going to be a bigger part of the fingerprint for recruiting is, you know, kind of vetting guys through the portal. You know, guys are going to move around. It's just 
It's just how the game goes now. So I think if you can continue to get those five-star guys, however you're going to get it, it just continues to show how Mullen has continued to upgrade that roster. Yeah, I was going to say, Mullen's kind of setting the bar there. And, and I think, uh, you know, obviously the addition of, of Bowman is really important too because Florida hadn't signed a, a high school running back since Naquan Wright. You know, didn't have one committed in this 2021 class. So you add a, you know, a former five-star that, you know, was getting playing time at Clemson. Granted, not, you know, probably not a ton, but he, he was going to be in the mix there sooner than later. So definitely a guy that should be able to contribute for Florida pretty soon. And who knows, he may not even need a, an actual waiver from the NCAA given all yeah, the- I'm not sure how that's going to work, but I mean, it is a free year either way. So it's encouraging not, to know that Florida's going to have him. I think given the circumstances, he'd have a good shot at one anyway. Right. You know, like you said, with the death in the family and, and really wanting to be closer to home given that situation. Um, all right, guys. Well, that's going to do it for us today. We'll be back on Thursday with another episode previewing the Texas A&M game, which, again, I think is going to tell us a lot more about where Florida's at and where Florida's head is. So, anyway, thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll talk to you next time. docuseries on paramount plus why did he kill his family the answer lies across the ocean and a woman named sylvie she's a can model where desire leads to deception i ended up spending 12 and 15 thousand dollars a day it was addictive i can't get you out and obsession leads to murder who did this to your family you can't really maintain a fantasy forever control all desire now streaming on paramount plus